0: Amen. Uh, go ahead, take your Bibles out, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We are, we're almost done. I say that. We have about another month. Uh, typically, what we do here is walk through uh, books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and, and I'll just be honest with you. Uh, this is probably one of those that I look at, and I was telling our, our elders this morning, uh, as we were praying over today and praying for you and, and just praying for this time together, uh, that is probably one of the ones that I'm, I'm not super excited about um, because it's just, it's a difficult passage. There's a lot of, of just uncomfortableness when it comes to these topics that we're going to be talking about. And we've talked about kind of every hot button issue uh, in our culture through the book of 1 Corinthians. And this might be the one where I'm just, I feel the most uncertain in. Uh, and so I've just asked God for a lot of wisdom, and, and, and I'll be honest, he has been working with me on these topics. And if you don't know and you haven't read ahead, uh, Paul addresses prophecy in tongues uh, in the church. And, and so it's a, it, as we come together this morning, if it's your first time here, please give us another chance. Uh, if you've been coming here for a while, hopefully you trust uh, us enough for us to wrestle with this together Um, I thought that I had read the books, understood theologically um, what God was talking about in these things, but I've discovered lately uh, that my pride was getting in the way of actually using the knowledge that I had in wisdom and how these things apply to my life, and and how they apply to the life of our church. So God has been really working on me in these areas. Um, and, and so this morning, uh, I, I hope that it comes across in that way. I hope that we understand what God's word has for us. But, but God has certainly been working on me a lot lately. And, and so I just want to encourage us to kind of receive God's word. Um, and, and hopefully God will just speak to us. We're going to ask him to do so. But uh, let's go ahead and read this passage so you know where we're going. You know what I'm talking about. um, And and we can kind of put these things together. We're going to read 25 verses and then we'll see how Paul kind of puts them all together uh, this morning together. So, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians, it says this Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, that part sounds pretty good. Um, that's pretty normal. Sounds like we can have some, a real home run uh, type of time together out of that. But then it gets weird. Especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, so this is the thing that he's addressing in the church, speaks not to men but to God, and we'll see what he means there. For no one understands him, but he utters mysterious mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people they're upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. So catch that. But even more prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring to you some revelation of knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If any lifeless instrument, such as the flute, so he's going to give us three different illustrations here, or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how does anyone know what, the, what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? for you will be speaking into the air there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning but if i do not know the meaning of the language i will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me so with yourselves since you are eager for manifestation of the spirit which we should be church Strive to excel in the building up of the body. Notice how many times he says that. We have a tendency to want to just take this passage and just think, okay, it's all about prophecy and tongues, and we get really uncomfortable, and those are the things we want to divide over. But Paul continues to point out that we want to excel in building up the church. That's the point. You're going to see that mentioned more than anything. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may, have, he may interpret for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray without my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving? When, does not, uh, when he doesn't know what you are saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of the heart are disclosed, and so falling on their faces, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right, that's a lot. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Let's pray. (laughs) God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together and to hear from your word. And God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would give clarity to your word. God, I pray that you would move in in each of our hearts this morning. And God, as we study your word, I pray that you would help us to see you in a more clear way. I pray that you would make us more like you. I pray that we'd have a deeper understanding of your gospel truth. God, I pray that we would leave this place with a with a greater understanding of you and you crucified, that those would be the, the words that, that just overshadow all of our lives, that we, that we see who we are in you because of what you've done for us as the lens in which we see all of the things. And God, would you give us the wisdom to know how to live that out in everything that we do? God, would we know how to discern your voice and, and what you are calling us to? And God, I'm under conviction that we are so often missing out on all that you want to do in us and through us because we're afraid, because we don't understand. So God, give us clarity and speak to us this morning that we might move and walk in all of the ways that you desire to move in us. And So God, we give this time to you. I do lift up the, the church of our city and and all around our world, God, I pray that you would move in power today as your word is proclaimed, that many people across our city would come to know you, and that all of your people would deepen their relationship with you. And God, that we would reveal you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I, I know that even as we read that, there's probably some confusion. Maybe there's some, some kind of understanding in, in a lot of our lives. Maybe you haven't grown up in church. I love the... The diversity that Redemption Hill has, and I don't know who all is here this morning, uh, but I know that we have a very diverse backgrounds of denominations and people who haven't grown up in church at all, and maybe Redemption Hill is your first church. And so when I start talking about prophecy in tongues, you're like, hey, I haven't really heard y'all talk about this uh, yet, and so I'm pretty clueless on prophecy in tongues. Sounds really weird. Um and, and so you're just not really clear. And then some of you, maybe you've grown up in different denominations and different backgrounds, and you've done reading on your own, perhaps. And so you kind of have uh, somewhat of an understanding, at least uh, in knowledge or maybe in practice. Um, and, and so just out of curiosity, um, anybody here this morning um, come from a more charismatic background? Just raise your hand. You can raise both hands. I know you want to. Um <laughs> So, so you, you probably are just more expressive by nature. Um, you, you kind of are more in tune uh, with the Spirit in a lot of different ways just in general. Uh, then there's many of us who probably grew up Baptist, right? You will not raise your hand, I know, so I'm not going to ask you to. Um, we don't do that. Um, or Presbyterian or Methodist. Um, or maybe Catholic, right? And so speaking in tongues, maybe to you, it was like, I know you have a cross on you somewhere and you're holding that up, kind of trying to exercise demons. Like it's, um, and so we come from all of these different um, across the spectrum viewpoints on this. And all of us get a little uncomfortable when we start talking about it because we want to be comfortable. And I'm just gonna tell you this morning, it's uncomfortable. This is not a comfortable topic, and I'm willing to bet that God is going to stretch every single one of us. And because a lot of us just come from this background of, yeah, why would we not prophesy and speak in tongues? And we have our own idea of what that means, and and we should just be free in the service. And the problem with that is Paul tells us that we should have liturgy. We're going to talk about it next week, that we should have order in the service, that God works in these ways in certain ways. And we have to not only do the things that God is laying on our heart and he's calling us to, but we have to do them in the way he calls us to do them. But then some of us, we're just like, no, 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 no. Prophecy, tongues, and I know I haven't given definition to those yet, even though we talked about them several weeks ago on a uh, kind of a foundational level. Uh, But many of us just think of, and whatever comes to mind when we think of prophecy and tongues, we just think to ourselves, that has no place at all in the church today. And when it happens, we should just make it stop, and it's very, very scary. And so I know that for all of us, there are different views, and, and listen to me, that diversity is actually a good thing. That diversity can actually bring us closer to God when we do uh, what Paul has called us to do throughout this text, to be led in love, to seek to build one another up. Then those, that diversity actually allows us to grow in an understanding of God together, And those things don't have to divide us as they so often do in the church. And oftentimes, these topics divide us, and they shouldn't. It's not right. It's not a thing that should divide us, but it's something that we should pursue wisdom and understanding together in love to seek to build one another up. I was at a conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, and God, uh, I'll mention a story, another story that happened there, and I'm going to kind of be a little vulnerable with you this morning, just to talk about some of the things God's been doing in my own life and heart uh, lately on these topics. But um, but I, man, I was standing behind somebody who was worshiping in a way I would never worship and I felt very uncomfortable with. Um, and I mean, he was just singing the words, but it was just his, I mean, everything that was happening just made me feel like I was on the dance floor. And it just... Um, I got really uncomfortable. And uh, but in the moment, God just moved in me and and he just, man, I, I felt like I need to learn from this man. There's something happening in him. There's a freedom in the spirit in him. I'm not saying I'm ever gonna dance up here like that on the front row. I think diversity in that of raising hands and, and, and expressing yourself in whatever God, way God has created you and your personality is what we need. Um, and so I'm not saying that you have to do things that you necessarily feel uncomfortable with, but you need to be open to them and let the Spirit grow in you and grow you. Um, but I am saying that I noticed something in this man that I wish that I had, a freedom that he had, because I didn't feel free to do that. And, and so I, I, the diversity of these things is, is good for us when we seek to love one another and build one another up. And I believe that God uses it. And, and typically what we see in the church, and I think, it's, I think it's really not a positive thing at all, somehow we've fallen into this idea that if you take the Bible seriously, you can't take the Spirit seriously. And then, if you take the spirit seriously, then you must not take the Bible seriously. And it's not right. It's not a proper view. It's not what God is calling us to. It's not what he says. So Paul knows there's diversity of gifts. He talks about those in chapter 12. And Jason, several weeks ago, gave us definitions of all of the spiritual gifts that God gives to his people for the building up of his body. Then he goes into talking about the body and how we're to see those spiritual gifts, that they're not for us. But that God puts us together in a body and gifts us in different ways on different levels so that together we reveal him to one another and build one another up and that together we are unified because we do not divide our own bodies. So it's this way that we can see that we are to love one another as we love ourselves because God brings us together as one. As we are one with him, he brings us together as one and gifts us to work in the body so that, he says, there would be no division. So that the world would see and know that God is alive and active and real. And so there's something about the church that when it comes together as a body, practicing these spiritual gifts... And then last week he talks about love and how we truly love one another in a deep way. That when the body comes together in love that we can only have in Christ, working together as the body, living out the gifts that he has given us, we are, have more joy and are built up in God in the way that we are called to. We experience more oneness with him and more oneness with one another. And the world sees something supernatural happening. The world sees something that does not exist in the world itself, but can only be explained by the reality that God is real, that he's living, he's active, and that he is real in us. And so Paul's been setting the foundation for this before he actually comes back to these divisive gifts in the church. And and ultimately tongues was the divisive gift in the church that we see here. And so he brings up prophecy as something that we should pursue. And so, yes, this is going to be stretching, okay? And so just get ready for it. Be open. Uh, Allow our hearts just to receive from God. I want us to think. I want us to to have faith. I want us to believe. I want us to see and understand the truth. And we're not going to talk about this from a Baptist background. We're not going to talk about this from a Catholic background or from a Methodist background. from a Presbyterian or a charismatic background. We're just going to ask, seek, listen, and obey what God has to say. That's what we want to understand. And it's not going to be exhaustive this morning. I wish it could be, but you would be here for days. And so we're just going to be able to scratch the surface, and so you need to study on your own. So, um, several weeks ago, I know we talked about definitions, so I won't do that in exhaustion today, uh, but Jason also explained uh, that some of these gifts that God gives to the church, he gives for a time or for a moment. Um, some are things that God gives to somebody that kind of expand a lifetime perhaps, um, but even in that, sometimes they show up in, on different levels, right? There's uh, the gift of teaching, for example, that somebody might have on their life that God gives them for... Their lifetime, but at different times, and you can say amen to this because you hear me preach every week. At different times, it seems stronger to you than other times, right? <laughs> like Sometimes you're like, man, that sermon just didn't really hit me. Uh, maybe it hit somebody on this side of the room, but not you. And then other times, something else hits you, and something some doesn't hit the person on the other side of the room. And so this gift shows up on different levels with different power at different times, but it might be something that God gives to you for a lifetime. Faith is another one. How many of you just know somebody who loves Jesus? They've given their life to Christ. They find their life in him. They they believe wholeheartedly that Jesus lived perfectly, died on the cross for their sin, rose from the grave to overcome sin and death, that that by grace he saves them by them placing their faith in him, and they have a transformed heart, a new life, and new desires, new attitude, and suddenly just in everything, they're the person that's just like, well, God's on the throne. God loves you, and he's for you, and he's working all things to the good of those who love him. And, and, and just with everything that happens in life, they just point to God. And they're just like, everything's okay, because God's in control. Right? And it drives you nuts. But that's a person who has the gift of faith. They're constantly pointing you to Christ. Then there are other gifts, such as miracles, that are placed on people at a moment and in a time. This is not something that anyone just has, right? And and I think Jason made the analogy that if somebody did, they would just be at Brenner's Hospital. That's where they should be, not charging people to come and hear them speak and then doing it on a stage. But miracles are something that we do see, have seen throughout history, do see today. I've seen them in my own life. We've seen them in the life of the church. I I remember um, we were having a prayer meeting in a and a lady came up and, and she said that she had uh, breast cancer and it was stage four and that she was going to the doctor that week and they were trying to figure out just what to do and how to, how to walk forward in this and wanted us to pray for healing. And the elders gathered around her and prayed for her. She went to the doctor that week and the cancer was gone. Now, listen, none of our elders have the gift of healing, but in that moment, God saw fit to heal her. And we got to play, by God's grace, this role of just going to him and asking for him to do what only he can do. So God does work in miraculous ways. We've had other families and and other prayer meetings. One lady gave a prayer card that she and her husband were having a difficult time having a child. And they just really wanted us to pray for them to have a child. And two weeks later, the prayer card came back that she was pregnant. And now they have a healthy baby. I was praying over a friend who lost hearing in one of his uh, ears and he needed his hearing for his job. He wasn't sure what he was going to do. And me and one other guy just put our hands on his shoulders and start praying that God would restore his healing or his hearing. And, and the next day he woke up and he was able to hear. He went to the doctor, and they could not explain what was going on. But listen to me. There's a few times that I've been able to be a part of something like that. I do not have the gift of healing. If you come up to me afterwards, the best I can do is say, let's pray, because God heals. He moves. But he does do that, and we see in James 5, 14 through 15, that anybody who is sick, go to the elders and ask for them to pray for you, and that God does forgive sin and heal ailments. So listen, here's here's the point. There should be an expectation that there is normal supernatural activity in the church. Now, here's the thing that I've been so convicted of because I often ask myself, why are we not seeing all of these things? And I've traveled around the world and I've been to other places where miraculous things seem to happen on the regular. And then I come to the church in America and I'm going, where is it? And here's the thing that God is beginning to, I believe, open my eyes to see. Maybe it has a lot more to do with us than with God maybe we see these things as as something to be understood rather than to be experienced. And we, we are fearful of what the Spirit might do in us. And so we don't want the Spirit to move in the way that God actually wants to move in us. But listen to me, if you are a follower of Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, I want you to see this will be good for you. I want you to see what the Spirit is supposed to do in us, what the church is supposed to look like, what love actually looks like when the church puts the Holy Spirit and what God is doing to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven today through his people as he always has since the church began. I want you to see that and know that Jesus is everything that you need and his people are the people in the place that you're called to and his mission is the thing you are created to do. But as the people of God, I want us to understand that there's something about us. The people of God are supernatural people. And we cannot ignore that. God is not just a God to understand. He's a God that is experienced. He works in his people. He moves in his people. He speaks to his people. He works through his people. And we need to be a people who want all that God does in us, to be done in us and through us. And so Paul here is talking about these gifts. And yes, the Spirit is on us 24-7. If He's in us. He's living and dwelling in us. If we place his, our faith in Him, we are a part of the body, and we should love one another and reveal Christ to one another. And when we do, yes, it does reveal that God is real. And listen, I want to be a church like that. I want to be a church that's seeing God move and work in powerful ways. So here's the thing, and I know I want us to get to what Paul is summarizing here. We're not going to go verse by verse, 25 verses, so don't worry. But when we get to these things called the sign gifts, that's typically where we start to struggle. The sign gifts are the spectacular gifts. There's two primary views, and I'll just summarize them really quickly because we went over it two weeks ago, that we typically have. The primary two views, one is called cessationism. And that's just the belief that miracles, prophecy, tongues, they're signs that were a part of what the apostles did as a continuation of what Christ was doing because Christ had ascended back into heaven. The church is beginning. And so Christ wanted to put on display through the apostles uh, that he was still living and active. But when the apostles passed, so did these gifts. Then there's the primary view of continuationism and this is simply that the gifts have continued in the church in some way today now as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago i don't see and we don't see any evidence in scripture that these gifts have ceased altogether with the apostles in fact there's evidence of things like this happening as i just expressed in our church and 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 around the world today and all throughout church history And so just really quickly to name a few, in in 160 A.D., Justin Martyr wrote that these things are still actively happening in the church in his day. Tertullian, in 208 A.D., he called out um, some heresy that was actually happening in the church, and he said, oh yeah, if everything that you're saying is true, then where are the miraculous gifts of God that we see in the church all around us? And so he actually uses them as evidence of heresy. When they're not in existence. Origen in 248 AD talks about the signs and wonders taking place in the church and how they're still happening in those who are, listen to this, fully devoted to God. Augustine around 400 AD wrote about how he had personally seen the church gifts, the sign gifts happening through the power of the Holy Spirit working and how it impressed him. So we see all and we could continue on and just continue to go throughout church history all the way up until all around the world today and things that God is doing even in our midst. And so here's how we would describe ourselves, all right? And it sounds a little goofy, but but Jason said it, so I'll say it. We would describe ourselves as charismatic with a seatbelt. We believe that God is moving. We believe that he is active. We believe that he is still moving in all of these ways and in, a, in his people and through his people. But we also believe that there is a way, a liturgy, liturgy, in which he calls us to do the things that he has called us to do. So it's not just craziness. It's not, uh, it's not unordered, but there's a way that he works in these ways and calls us to be about these things, to seek them. So, so here's the thing. We should want to experience God. We should want to experience God. So let's see how this might take place. Look with me at the text. First, here's what Paul does. He centers us again, all right? Then he goes into these divisive gifts, these things that are causing division in the church, and then he re-centers us. I love how Paul does this. He always is gospel, issue, gospel right? There's nothing that we can do without setting the foundation of who we are in Christ. So he doesn't ever tell us to do anything before he tells us who we are. And then after he tells us who we are, and then he tells us what that means to us, how that shifts in our character and identity, then he always recenters us and says, but you can only do this because of who you are in Christ. So that's what Paul does. That's his order here. And so when you look at verse one, he sets the foundation. He says, pursue love. And we talked about this last week. A love that's patient, a love that's kind, that's unconditional, that's forgiving. It's the kind of love, as we talked about, so we're not going to rehash all of this, that we can only find in Christ. Because, listen, any other type of love that we pursue, it starts with self. And it's to fulfill something that God created us to only have fulfilled in Him. And what we end up doing is using, not actually loving. It's not sacrificial, it's not unconditional, it's contractual. I need you to do something for me and I will do something for you. But when we are fully satisfied in Christ, the one who created us to know him and to have communion with him and to be one with him, we have everything that we need at a soul level, a heart level, to know who we are, to know where we belong, to know what we're created to do, to be fully satisfied in him, whole in him, happy, joyful in him. And therefore, in our relationships and with the things that God has created, we can view them properly for his glory and we put on display a love that we know. We don't interact for a love that we don't know. So everything that we do, we're able to put on display the identity we have in Christ, and it reveals itself in an unconditional love. So here's the reality for that. Love is the center of gravity for Christianity. Love is the fruit of true discipleship and maturity. We can know as much as we want to know and not be mature. We can know and learn as much as we can possibly know and learn and not actually walk in discipleship and make disciples who are actually following and pursuing Christ. So yes, we should want to know, we should want to learn, but ultimately all of that should live itself out in us getting deeper and deeper in the understanding of our love, the love that Christ has for us. That's the hard work of Christianity, by the way. Not going and doing to become something that you're not to impress God, but understanding in deeper and deeper ways that you are not enough, but he loves you and gave his life for you so that you might know him and you might have community with him and that might be revealed in everything that you do. That's the hard work of Christianity. It's surrender. So love is the fruit of that. The more we get to know God, the deeper we love people. The more we want people to know him. So this is what... Paul says, when he says, pursue love, it's the fruit of knowing God. And listen to me, it's the method of revealing God. We said that when we love one another, the world sees that Christ is real, the reality of a God who gives a supernatural kind of love. So it is the fruit of knowing God and the method of revealing God. That's what he calls us to, to love one another. So that sets the table for gifts. That means that gifts are a means to an end. They're not the end. They're not the thing that we want. They're not the thing we desire. The things that we use to give glory to God and to reveal him, to, to fall deeper in love with him and one another. So he says, crave these spiritual gifts so that you might build one another up and love one another and reveal to the world around you that God is God. Now, when we talk about spiritual gifts, the word there, spiritual gifts, is not actually in Paul's writing. It's not there. Uh, it's helpful for us, but it's not there. The word is spirituals, or a very literal translation is just the stuff the Spirit does. The stuff the Spirit does. I know that sounds super smart, but it's just the stuff that sp- the Spirit does. So spiritual gifts are not something that we get from God when we put our faith in Him, like He zaps us with something. It's not like we're all Peter Parker and we give our life to Christ and suddenly the Spirit bites us and we wake up and it's like, well, oh, I'm able to preach and I'm able to teach and I'm able to do healings and all of these different kinds of things. The better way to think of the spiritual gifts or the spirituals or the stuff the Spirit does are things the Spirit does in us and through us when we gather together to build one another up and to reveal that God is real to the world around us. And when we reveal this truth where we live, work, and play, miraculous things, supernatural things begin to happen. And so Paul hits these two gifts here that we'll go through really quickly this morning that they're having tension with. Basically, the people in Corinth, they have a lot of abilities and a lot of gifts, and, and they're looking at the gift of tongues, and a lot of denominations do this today, and they're saying, if you're a follower of Christ, then you should have this gift. It's an, it's an entryway to maturity, and so you should be able to speak in tongues, and that's kind of what they're doing. And then they're speaking in tongues, and some of them have the gift in a deeper way or have a bigger platform. And so they're kind of just like, oh, well, you can speak in tongues in that way, or you have those words. Well, look at what I can say in tongues and what I can do over here. And there's just kind of this competition for maturity, right, which is just absolute immaturity. But that's basically what they're doing. Now, we do this with all kinds of things in the church today. And so don't just look at it and go, well, I don't really worry about tongues, and I don't know anybody that's in competition for me to see who can speak in tongues better, so this doesn't really apply to me. No. If you are in competition with anyone or feeling that you need to be platformed in any way or feeling that you deserve something more than any other person or you're in competition to kind of have love or to have uh, popularity or to have friends or anything of that nature, then you're centering what you need on yourself and it's causing you to use other people and to have pride and arrogance and you need to recenter yourself on Christ and realize that you have everything that you need in him so that you don't have to be competitive but you can be loving. But this is what we see in the church. And, and certainly we see this in, in so many different ways, but it's sinful for them to do. It's against the gospel. So they're going, I speak in tongues and so, right? And so Paul wants to say some things about this. And he's got some, some harsh words, some strong words for it. So here's, here's what tongues is really quickly. Tongues is actually the word glossa in the Greek. It it means literally just languages. So when you think of tongues, you're just thinking of languages. It reveals itself, Paul, what he's alluding to in several different ways. One, Paul's not talking about as much in this passage, and the other one he is. But we see what he's not talking about in this passage is one that actually does build up the church. It's it's for uh, the unbeliever and the believer. It builds up and it brings us to love. And that's what began in the church at Pentecost during the Feast of Weeks, um, which happens 50 days after the Passover. So, 50 days after the Passover, they have the Feast of Weeks. It's the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And they would celebrate during this time, 50 days after the Passover, for two different reasons. One, they were celebrating the harvest. It was harvest time, and they were celebrating the blessing that God had given them in the harvest. Then secondly, they're celebrating God giving Moses the law on Mount Sinai. That's huge for us to have an understanding. So I want to take a second to talk about this type of tongues in Scripture, languages in Scripture, so that we have a deeper understanding of what the Bible's talking about in this way. So it celebrates these two things. And so in Acts chapter 2... Jesus has lived. He's lived perfectly. He's gone to the cross. He was crucified for our sin. He's risen three days later on Sunday to overcome sin and death so we might have life in him, that we would be able to place our faith in him and experience the identity in Christ through his work by his grace uh, that we are created to have. Then Jesus ascends into heaven and he tells the disciples that he's not going to leave them alone, but a helper will come. The Spirit of God will come and live and dwell in them. It's actually better for them to have the Spirit than for Christ to be with them. So the Spirit will come as the helper. And then they wait for 10 days because Jesus walked around for 40 days. If you remember, we'll talk about all of this in a couple of weeks when we get to the the really good passages of 1 Corinthians, right? And we talk about the resurrection on Easter. Um, But 40 days, Jesus walked around after his resurrection, talked to people, had breakfast, Uh, was, was sharing who he was, was proclaiming who he was. He ascends into heaven. Ten days later, the disciples are waiting. They're waiting for the spirit to fall that Jesus had promised. And meanwhile, all of the nations are coming together in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. And so God's setting something up here. So here's just a side note that I want you to understand in your life. When God calls you to wait... It's always for something better than what you want in the immediate. When God calls you to wait, it's always better than what you want in the now. God is setting something up that is critical in what he wants to do. And so during the Passover, all of these people there... From all over the world and all of these different languages are there to celebrate, God pours the spirit out on the followers of Christ. Catch this, for a better celebration of a better harvest. A people, a spirit, a soul, rather than just food. God's doing something spiritually that they're celebrating physically. Physically. And just like on Mount Sinai, when you read Acts chapter 2, there is a flame. Remember when the, the, the flame came and, and there was a, a, a big flame and gave, God gave Moses the, the law? Now there's a flame, but instead of it just being in one place for one mediator between God and man, now it says it falls on all of them, each of them. Because Christ has come to be the one mediator for all time between God and man. So now we can actually have community individually with God and be brought into a body to do what he has called us to do. And then just as God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai, it was fulfilled, that law, in Christ. Now Christ comes to live and dwell in us, his spirit Ever-present, giving us a new heart, giving us new desires, writing the law upon our hearts, transforming us, giving us community, giving us a oneness with him. So when you look in Acts chapter 2 and following, the Spirit fell upon the followers of Christ and they began to speak in another language that they did not previously know. And everybody thinks that they're drunk, right? And Peter stands up and goes, no, we're not drunk, it's only 9 a.m. And I love how he kind of makes that joke. And I know we don't have time to talk about it, but I don't know about any of y'all's experiences with obviously not you, but people that you know, right, your friends, Um, that when you get drunk, I've never seen anyone become bilingual. Like we typically just get terrible at the one language we kind of know. But they're speaking and everybody there from the nations is understanding the gospel in their language. And so Peter's like, we're not drunk, we're just full of the Spirit. And he shares the gospel of Jesus, and people are cut to the heart, it says, and they ask, right? Because when the love of God is put on display through the power of God in us, together, the gospels is proclaimed, love is revealed. People are cut to the heart, they see that God is real, so they go, what must we do to be saved? Peter tells them, and 3,000 people come to faith that day. They begin to share the gospel, the church as we know it is born Then in Acts chapter 10, Peter again is preaching. The Spirit falls on him. He begins to share the gospel, and the Gentiles begin to receive Christ. So Acts chapter 2 is for the Jew. Acts chapter 10 is for the Gentile. And the Gentiles begin to praise God in a language they don't know. But the Jews understand it. And the Jews see it and they go, wait, the Gentiles now are saved in Christ and they're speaking our language to worship God with what is happening here. So don't miss this. In Acts, the gift of tongues was a sign that God was bringing the nations and people groups into his family. That no matter where you are from, what language you speak, what culture you are a part of, God will fulfill his promise to bring his people together. It's a reversal of Genesis chapter 12. If you remember the Tower of Babel where man tried to build a tower for themselves to get to God so that they could stay together when God had called them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And God scatters them and he confuses their language. And now when the spirit falls, the law is written on the heart of the believer. God moves through them in a way to restore community to restore language. So this is one way that we see tongues happening in Scripture. That's not the way that's typically divisive. If that happened in your church, I was talking to somebody right before this service that said that happened in their church one time with somebody who was speaking Spanish, somebody did not know Spanish at all, and they just began, they felt full of the Holy Spirit, just began to speak in the language they did not know, and the Spanish person understood them. Still happens today. I've heard of stories on the mission field where this takes place. But that's not what's taking place here. What's taking place here is more a language that's being spoken in the church gathering that no one understands. And that's why Paul says that should not take place in the church gathering at all unless someone is there to interpret it. He's going to later say, even if there is somebody to interpret it, it shouldn't happen. Just open mic night. It just should not be something that we do because it it gets it's a diversion. People outside of the church look at it and don't understand it. It's a distraction from the gospel truth. And so he says, when we're just standing up and speaking and worshiping or in prayer, it's it's, it's specified here by Paul as an angelic language. It's a prayer language, a a, a worship language, and he says it's for the individual person not for the body. He says it doesn't build up the body, it builds up the individual person. The individual person should do it if they have that gift. Paul says, I do it more than anybody, but they should do it individually so that they can then deeper pour into the body to build them up in the other ways that they are gifted. So Paul says, yes, this happens. He even says in verse 39, don't forbid it says, I do it more than any of you. And so basically that's a, that's a slight on the church. They're going, hey, we're in competition to see who can do it best. And then Paul's saying, don't do it at all. And guess what? I do it more than any of you. But it's not helpful to build up the body. So don't allow that to be a distraction when you gather. And then he illustrates this in three different ways. And and he basically just says, if you're doing that in this angelic tongue that nobody can understand in the gathering together and not separately, it's a distraction, it's confusing, the world looks at you and thinks that you're crazy, he says, and it's like an instrument not playing the right notes. It's like the church is getting together and they're not in unity, but there's actually division happening because they're not playing the right melody and harmony and and rhythm. He says it's useless. It's useless. It has zero effect on the body, he says. Then the next analogy, he says, it's like a bugle that doesn't play the right sound for the army. They don't know whether to retreat or to go into battle. That alludes to the fact that when that happens in the church without interpretation, then it's actually harmful for the whole army. They might be charging when they're supposed to be retreating. There's confusion that sets in. We don't know the direction that we're supposed to go. It's it's confusing. And then he gives another example, which I think is a little overboard, but I guess he thinks we need it. It says there are many languages, but all of them have meaning. But if there's no meaning, then there's no point. If I was to bring somebody up right now, and, and they spoke, let's say, Chinese, and they said something in Chinese, if there was no interpretation of that, would it be a blessing to any of you? You would have no idea what they were saying. Now, if we interpret it, we put the words on the screen or whatever, and they were saying something that's glorifying to God, then it might be extremely beneficial to you. But if, they, if there was no interpretation, they just got up and said something and then sat down, it would be more confusing than building up. It would be less loving than we are called to be loving in the body. And you would not leave here and think, wow, that's really going to give me the power to, to live out the gospel and where I live, work, and play. So Paul says, can you say amen to that? And the answer would be no, because we have no idea what we're saying amen to. So therefore, he says, and and I'll wrap everything up in this. He says, therefore, seek prophecy. Which what we would say and what I would say prophecy is, is speaking God's word into a particular situation. Not, Not that it's better than speaking in tongues, but it serves a greater purpose when we gather together. Now, it's not, as we said several weeks ago, like being a prophet in the Old Testament. This scripture is absolutely complete. We're not adding to it. Nothing that we say is on par with Scripture or level with it. We're simply expressing truth into a particular situation in somebody's life that God lays on our heart through what we know of what he has said of himself in Scripture. So everything that God would lay on our heart to proclaim his truth to another particular situation and time has to be tested by his word. But we do want to understand that God does still speak to his people. I want us to know that he's still active in us, that we should be listening to him, that we should be pursuing, Paul says, this gift. And, and I know that some of us might be more gifted in this than, than others. Not all of us are teachers. Not all of us are uh, do healings. Not all of us are, are have the gift of faith necessarily, but we all have the same spirit. And so all of us can practice and seek all of the gifts. So he says, seek prophecy, speak truth, encourage, build up one another in the particular situations of life. And and here's where it might get a little uncomfortable in just our closing minutes, if it hasn't already. This could come to you. This is where God has been stretching me so much. This could come to you by God giving you a vision, by him giving you a dream. By him speaking through his word, by you going to him in prayer, by him giving you a picture, and it might always be clear of what you're supposed to do. But I want us to be a people who are open to God working however he might work in our lives for the purpose of loving and building one another up. Very quickly, I know I'm over time. I'm sorry if you don't come back. Um, the last several months, God's really put this on display for me. I, I, I've, I've all, like, I am a, I would, I would classify myself as a reader and just a a crotchety, like, I think I know theology type of person. Um, and I, and then a couple months ago, God began to work on me. I I got down from preaching. I sat on the front row and I just felt like, oh my God. And, I, and I'm, I'm this type of person, so I just, I get down, and I just think it was terrible every week. Like, I'm just like, God, why am I even doing this? Like, I mean, I'm just letting you in, okay? And so when I sit down there, it's not that I'm like, God, use that in a powerful, I'm like, I'm repenting, right? And I'm just like, I got to do a whole lot of work before I can get up and take communion. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, I, I don't know if I should be doing this, Father. Would you just reveal to me what is going on? Am I even supposed to be pastoring? Like, what, what on earth am I doing? Why am I here? And I was having, like, a, this real just crisis moment. After the service, I, um, I was standing right here, and a lady in our church, who's not crazy, <laughs> I know her. She's never done this before, but she came right up to me, and she said, hey, during worship, I felt like, which is when I was praying, I felt like God laid on my heart to come and tell you something. Now, she does not know the vision of our church, the dreams of our church, what we're desiring to do, what I was just praying. And she walked up and just said, God wants you to know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and that everything he has given you a vision laid on your heart will happen in his time. Amen. And she just walked away. Uh, I was standing at a conference I told you about a couple of weeks ago, and I was struggling with these things, and the conference was on the spirit moving. And, and so I'm um, I, at the end of every session of the conference, they were doing these things I would call weird, okay, to, to get us to experience the Holy Spirit. So I came in a little bit late to this session, and all of our team was sitting somewhere else. So there was no seats. So I just went to the very back. I was like, I don't want to be one of those thousand guys that just walk up at the, out at the end, right, uh, and not participate. So I'm just going to sit in the back, and, and I'm going to do the Baptist thing when we start all praying and crazy stuff. that's happening, I'm just going <laughs> to bow my head and my seat, and nobody will bother me. And so I did that, and I started praying. And I just prayed. I just said, God, I, I don't know how I should view these things, but I know that we're a spiritual people. I know that you're supernaturally working in our heart. I, I don't want to be somebody who quenches what you want to do in me and through me. And so I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, I need you to speak to me if you're real. If, I mean, not if you're real, but if you're really working in this way. I know he's real. If you're really working in this way. If this is how you want me to pursue you. And in that moment in my head, I had this like I had this picture of someone coming up to me and putting their hand on my shoulder and saying, God wanted me to come and pray for you. And, 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 and it was so vivid. And I immediately stopped and just said, God, I don't want that. I don't want that. That's what I was saying in my head. And, and in that moment, a man came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder And he started praying for me, and it was specifically what I had just asked God about. I've never met this man. He was sitting on the other side of the auditorium and said, when we started praying, God put you on my heart, and I've never done this before, but I just had to come walk across and pray for you. Listen to me. God is living and active And working. Let us not be so intellectually arrogant and prideful that we will not allow Him to do it. I want us to be a people who are open to all that God has because that is when we become a people who really experience community. That's when the community around us really experiences the church as the people of God and knows that He is real so here's how i want to close our time together there's parts of this text i know listen i didn't get to it and i know you're gonna some of you might read later and go he didn't even talk about this i i know (laughs) i'm gonna let you go but here's how i want to close our service time i want everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads and i just i want us in this moment just to be open to God. Wherever you are right now, that's okay. If, if you think, you know, prophecy, tongues, totally unreal, I don't believe in any of it, then just ask God, God, how would you have me to think about these things? Can you at least have an open heart, an open mind to say, God, I'm not God and you are? And if you want me to begin to study these things, if you want me to be open to these things, then I want to be open to them. And for the rest of us, I I just want to ask that you would just think to yourself, pray to yourself, God, would you just reveal yourself to me? Would you reveal yourself to me in this moment? Would you speak to me in this moment? Would you lay on my heart something that I need to hear from you? And for some of you, that might happen in this moment. And for some of you, it might not. And that's okay. Secondly, I want you to ask, God, who is in my life that I need to encourage this week? That I need to build up this week? And you might even ask right now, God, would you just lay somebody on my heart? Would you just put somebody's face in my mind that I work with, a neighbor? a family member, somebody in this church that I know needs encouragement, would you just lay somebody on my mind right now? And, and here's what I want us to do this week. I want us to be expectant that God's alive, working, and active. I want us to ask that he would be working and active in us. I want us to listen to what he might say, and I want us to obey. And so if God lays somebody on your heart, your mind in this moment for you to encourage and to build up this week, then I want you to do it this week. I had uh, just really quickly an experience with a a family two weeks ago. They were were walking up, and, and I've been really like, praying about this, doing this in my own heart for for months, and they were walking up into the church building two Sundays ago, and I just, as they were walking, I just knew in that moment something was going on with them. They looked normal. They were smiling, but God just laid on my heart, hey, they need encouragement, And and I didn't walk up to them. I didn't say that. I didn't do anything. I just said, hey, And they walked in, two days later, they call me, they're broken down, they're telling me something that's going on in their family, and of course I prayed for them, I I love them, I met with them, and all those kinds of things, but how much more real would God have shown up in their lives if I just would have walked over, listened to the Spirit, and said, hey, are you okay? And whatever they said, if I just would have said, I just want you to know God sees you, and I just want to encourage you this morning. I just want to pray for you this morning. Would they not have walked into this place knowing God is alive? The Spirit wants to work through you to reveal the reality of God.